Welcome to the Jolf Man podcast. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen. I do hope that listening brings you value. I'm Neil Plimmer and I'm the Jolf Man, a name that I have picked up from children and teachers in primary schools. It has stuck and seems to fit reasonably well. I'm the host of this podcast and will regularly share thoughts, ramblings and ideas about golf, sport, play, teaching, coaching, learning and anything else that might pop up into my mind. What a, with a particular focus on children's and families' first experience of golf and sport. Alongside these rambles, I'll be having chats with others to share their thoughts, get different views and perspectives and explore topics in further detail. Joel's mission is to provide positive first experiences in schools and at golf clubs for children and their families so they can play golf independently, enjoy playing together and learn as they play. We aim to give every child in every primary school in England the opportunity to play golf. I do hope that you enjoy the podcast and find value. Please get in touch with your thoughts, comments, feedback and ideas. I'd love to hear from you. Peter Arnott, welcome to the Jolfman podcast. Thanks for having me on, Neil. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to a, a brief chat. Uh, yeah, brief. Our, <laughs> our chats can sometimes um, take a while, can't they? Uh, I, you know yeah. what, one of the reasons for me choosing Anchor was that there is a limit on the amount of time that you could record for, and I thought that would be a good positive thing to do. <laughs> I love it. I think you, it constrains you, doesn't it? Like Twitter does. You know, you've got you're constrained by by, and you've got to be creative, haven't you? Yep. It does so yep. we met we met quite a number of years ago and i'm trying to think at least six or seven years ago when you flew down yep. from scotland to horsham that's right and you picked me up and i came watched you deliver lots of sessions and yeah got a master class in how to deliver a coaching session to be honest not like yeah it was really fascinating just watch your the way you moved around children and how you spoke to them and how they were kind of so engaged in the task. It was, for me, it was a masterclass and I still use it as a, a, a how you coach as a framework for my own coaching. It's interesting yeah. you say that because the amount of coaches that I speak to and actually, you know, we end up talking about mm. ideas, stuff, mm. games, and, you know, there's mm. no doubt that those games can be important, but I think actually our own behaviours and our own mm-hmm. um, actions are probably worth more than any of those stuff and games, aren't they, sometimes? Yeah, yeah. for me, it was, it was just like a hawk taking notes of what you were saying, how you were interacting, how you were moving, and like you, you kind of, because it was, oh, who was your business partner at the time? The Jonathan. PT, Jonathan, yeah, and we had discussions around that and how, you know, you learned so much from Jonathan about how he interacted with children and like how how he used the tone of his voice, and yes. uh, and I, I did, it was really fascinating, you know, how you lowered your tone of the voice so that the kids had to like be quieter to to hear you, and uh, yeah, just just little little tricks like that that are just fascinating me and still used to do. Um, so just for those people that don't know you, where you are and what you're at. Yep. I am a golf coach based in Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, at Swanson Golf Club. I am interested in 
I suppose, practice and skill acquisition, how we learn. And did a, a master's degree in that. And I've done, we did a, myself, Graham McDowell and Ian Renshaw, we, we just released a book last year called The Constraints-Led Approach to Golf. So we just, we cover mainly for golf coaches, but um, we cover all levels of of ability in that and how you would potentially coach using a constraints-led approach. Um, yes, yeah, so that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, so mainly coaching, got a new project going as well. We are, Ian and I, writing the previous book, we stumbled across lots of stuff on Tiger Woods' development and how that linked to skill learning and learning principles. And yeah, I mean, it's no surprise when we started going into more depth of, of how Tiger, or Tiger's, I suppose, environment as he was growing up from a skill development point of view was extremely nourishing. Um, and there's no surprise that he's turned into one of the best players or the best player that's ever lived. Just, just, just before we maybe go into that, because I was keen mm. to explore that further. Yeah. So Ian Renshaw, has, uh-huh. for me, has always been the czar of practice, games, yeah. skill acquisition, yeah. how we learn. Mm-hmm. And I've spoke to him on numerous occasions around cricket, just trying to upskill mm. my own knowledge. And, and I know that's where yeah. he spends a, a lot of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody wants to find him out, he is definitely worth looking up, isn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. And he and he's a practitioner as well. You know, his his son has played for Australia at cricket. He he's a he's a, a professional cricket player and I'm sure Ian won't mind me saying this, but they they, they call Matt the experiment because because yes. <laughs> Matt was basically like Ian as he was learning all, all the stuff and how to acquire skill, used his son as a kind of uh, an experiment, I suppose, and it's worked out okay. <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting point you make there, isn't it? And it, it is. probably ties in also with maybe your journey that you're just starting with your children, the journey I'm on with my children, yeah. the journey that uh, Earl Woods started yeah. with Tiger. Yeah. You know, we have this, I say, an opportunity just to learn you know, rather than maybe impose our thoughts and beliefs onto our children, learn as we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, a really interesting point. That is, and again, I mean, you know, I think coaches, parents that maybe listen in, it's that learning as we go, reflecting and reviewing on our experiences, mistakes, and successes that probably start to make the the real guts of our understanding, aren't they? Absolutely, I think the the reflective process is massive for me. I think if you've got to, if you've got to reflect on on what you're doing, and and then kind of it's rinse and repeat, isn't it? It's like like you test, you test it, and then and then reflect on it. So, yes. Uh... So what what prompted my thinking around Tiger? And I know we had this chat last week. Was this um, documentary that came out mm-hmm. uh, on Sky Documentaries about him. I think you, you said it was the HBO mm-hmm. documentary That's, that was yeah. quite quite eye-opening mm-hmm. and um, interesting and upsetting all at the same time. The one thing that struck me when I watched it, and I think we discussed, was Earl Woods, the father's obsession with golf mm-hmm. and with Tiger being the number one golfer that ever lived and maybe the number one sports person that ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um that I found really interesting, and it seemed to be more the father's obsession first ever before it was Tiger's. He didn't seem to have a choice. 
Yeah, I mean, I like I've not seen that documentary, but I've read the book, and obviously the book doesn't shed Errol in a very positive light. But I mean, if you look into some of the stuff and that Errol and Rudy Duran were doing, I mean, it wasn't all negative. Like no. there was there was a, a huge amount of play involved with uh, with Tiger's early upbringing. Yeah, yes, he was. It was by design. Yes, like there's no doubt that Errol, that Errol kind of pushed him towards playing golf uh, because that was his passion. But the you know, if you look at Rudy Duran and and his dad, they, they, it was very limited technical information he was getting. It was it was more on the golf course. It was situated learning. It was from the green back. So Tiger learned from the green back. Uh, the clubs were, you know, cut to his size. I mean, it was a lot of it was by design as well from Errol. If you look at Errol's background, he had got a master's in military history for the last four or five years of his military career. He was actually teaching as well in in military school, so he had a, a reasonable understanding of pedagogy. Uh, so. I, I mean, there's, there's obviously elements of luck in there, but there was there was definitely by design. Tiger's development environment, you know, so you know, par three golf course, they developed a Tiger par for him, so par that was that was relevant to his skill level. So if he could hit four decent golf shots onto the green and two putts, they give him a par of six, which has all sorts of implications with regards to motivational. And enjoyment, you know, if you look at Bloom's work with regards to expert performers, and he, he did uh, retrospective interviews with expert performers in lots of different uh, domains, and the the first stage was mainly the romance stage, where basically they fell in love with with their their domain. Yeah, and yeah. and that's for me that come glaringly out of a lot of the stuff that Tiger did. He he, he loved the game. Like I don't think you can you can be that committed to something without having a passion for it. Totally, totally. And that mm. was, again, mm. I, I sort of rambled on about mm. it last week, is mm. around that that obsession, being obsessed. Yeah. And if if the goal of being good at something or being one best, one's best self, there's got to be a little bit of obsession in there somewhere, hasn't there? Absolutely. And, and as you described, maybe that, I think one of the things that's, that comes out loud and clear with Earl and Rudy Duran, who I've, I've had the good fortune to listen to talk, was that that idea that they played alongside him. Mm-hmm. So they, they always did that, didn't they? Yeah. I think I think Rudy Duran spoke when he was at the course. He, was like, yeah. he always used to play golf with him. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Age. and then, uh, Hugely so. And I think uh, you look at his early... I mean, we could go into mirror neurons and observational learning, but he's, he's he like early on his his dad was a you know one two handicapper, so he was a reasonable golfer. So early on, Tiger's watching his uh, skilled motion, you know, in his high chair. You know, he had a putter in his hand by the time he was six months old. You know, it was like his little comforter. So he was getting used to the tool, um, and he's he's watching skilled performers. You know, so you can. Uh, I mean, there's a bit of research to, for that. Where when you observe a skilled performer, it can rub off on you. Yep. So, so, so I wonder if we we push aside the fact that there was some 
maybe some eth- maybe you look at the ethical and the moral side of it yeah. but there's lots to learn from a you know whether, and it does not not just in golf either is it it's 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 life like you say it's learning it's teaching it's that understanding and that's it's the designing of the experience to allow the best play and the best teaching and the best learning to occur isn't it absolutely i think uh plays under play doesn't it like like the importance of play and and in, in our development is is massively underplayed. I know you've read the book by Stuart Brown, the book Play, and yeah. and the research with regards to animals in play and humans in play is basically we're smarter because of it. Because play allows us to to have explore that domain without consequences. Yep, yeah. and. And I think that, that the exploration and fun and enjoyment, you know, there's so much that can come out of that. And obviously play means different to indi- certain individuals as you get older. You know, play might be for, as you get older, it could be actually playing with your technique, you know, <laughs> but in a playful yeah. way, yeah? Yeah, yeah, playful. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Uh, it's, it's an interesting term, that playful. Yeah. And again, I think just, just staying on that point for a second, it's also that idea, and I spoke to somebody last week about that having a real basis, a real grounding in play and learning and enjoyment and then designing and planning the experience with that real solid grounding that I think golf especially and probably sport in general sometimes and with children, people think that play is frivolous and it always has to be fun mm. and a bit rah-rah mm-hmm. and it's it's much more, I'll say important, important is not the word, but it's much more it's deeper than that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you go into what Stuart, one of Stuart Brown's, uh, yeah, I think he's got six or seven points with regards to what play is, and one of them is the loss of time. So, like the, the, and that flow state. And I know we've discussed this before, but it doesn't have to be screaming and shouting, and like no. it, it's more that engage me you know when i watch my son where he's obsessed with lego it's like you know he's not screaming and shouting you know he's like like he's just in the moment with that and like yeah i i don't know where i'm going with this but uh, it's but it's really interesting you talk about those moments because if if the end goal is let's say world number one status Mm -hmm. let's say let's say that's the end goal let's say it's to create elite golfers which you know, that's not where I'm at. Mm. But let's say then you need a number of these moments, many, many, many of these moments where you lose yourself in time. Mm. They then add then they then start to add up to something. So I I've been calling them golden moments, mm. um, golden nuggets mm. that become golden ball mm. but golden balls, and then eventually you'll get a gold bar out of it. But to get a gold bar, you need a lot of golden moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I think that's where you can use a Scottish word. You can scunner any, you know, any age group with regards to if it becomes too serious and 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 the element of play is taken out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's maintaining that, isn't it? So it, again, I want to come back to this sort of train like a tiger project mm. you've got going mm. on, but it's probably maintaining play at the heartbeat of all the experiences that we have with children. And then building the other stuff, and let's just call it stuff for mm. now. But I know there's a lot there. Building all the other stuff on and around that heartbeat of play. Absolutely. Like so, if you go back to the the Tiger Par, the, the the stuff that's from a, for me, it's a motivational as well. You know, like like 
play is not like overstretching children, you know, like 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 putting too many boundaries on them, like taking them to a golf course that is inappropriate, for example. Yeah. That yeah. where the motivation, yeah. psychological part, you if we go back to the falling in love with it, well, how do you fall in love with that? Well, again, I go back to Bloom's research, it was early success. So like and and success may be just hitting a golf ball in the air or over a bunker or, you know, or putting in a hole. Like yeah. I, I suppose playful success. You, if that just just picking up something you mm. said there about the inappropriateness mm. of the environment, mm. actually. I'd even, I'd maybe challenge that um, and say there can't be an inappropriate environment necessarily, mm-hmm. but there can be an inappropriate experience within that environment. Yeah, so yeah, if you've yeah, got a, yeah. a, a, a golf course that's too mm. long, it's then down to yep. us. To, so we, we're playing that golf, car, golf course that's too long, but we're going to strap an experience mm-hmm. on it like Tiger Par mm. or like yep. shorter courses or like a change of mm. format that allows us to have the best playful experience. Yeah, yeah, bang on. Yep, yep. So how we how we as coaches or parents uh, tweak that environment to make it a more yep. playful, enjoyable, enjoyable experience for... I mean, it's not just uh, juniors we're talking about here. I, I mean, I've had no. a lot of, after lockdown, a lot of people in their kind of early 40s taking up golf and, and I've been starting with the green back with them. Lucky to have a par three course where we are at and, uh, and like, but just explaining, you know, using the Tiger story as, as a as a, a kind of sales pitch, you know, you don't need to go from 6,500 yards when you, you can't hit the ball or you're just starting out. Yeah. So that's really nice. Really nice. So, so if a parent or a coach were to understand, let's say the environment is what it is, yeah. how are we going to make this playful experience appropriate for the yeah. environment? And I think, uh, like, I mean, a really simple game that I've been playing is, you know, basically you start at 20 yards with the, beginner adults and we say pars three or four and every if you get under that par you move back 10 or 20 yards yeah and then yeah. then you yeah. find their edge of chaos so like and like we previously a colleague and i graham had a and graham's still running a, a coach education business called the uh, golf and age of chaos and all learning happens in that sweet spot well not all learning but like the the sweet spot of age of chaos so when i play that game give an example that a, a guy could fill out and we got him back to 90 yards but every time he, he he got under par on for the first few weeks doing this uh, to 90 yards and he'd move back to 110 all hell would break loose yeah so because yeah. he's basically swung it long guys coordination got a lot worse and he, he struggled to hit the golf ball. Yep. So, so yep. you're finding that little sweet spot in play and 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 that environment you shape for that individual. Fascinating. Fascinating. So so if we we've just picked up on a little bit of from the green back, yeah. tiger par, and then you, you you're also throwing in that edge of chaos scenario with that from the green back. So finding the challenge point where Things go awry, and then there's the opportunity for mm. people to, to 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 learn new things, to swing it better, to hit it better, or to do whatever. Mm. Um, just give us one other thing, maybe one other strategy, tip, hint that people could use from that those early days of Tiger. Um, sorry, the other thing also was obviously playing alongside. You know, the adults mm. playing alongside. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated with. <laughs> 
uh, haptic and dynamic touch. So that, like, in a fa- fancy way of like basically becoming aware of the golf club, right? So the the awareness of the golf club. So you look at I'm just currently writing about Tiger for this, where you know his dad gave him a cut down son off putter at six months old, so he dragged it around the house with them. And then he, he was on his high chair watching his father hit golf balls. And it's quoted, Ariel's quoted as saying he, he, it was over 200 hours he'd watched Errol hit golf balls in a net. And then Errol said it was a miracle that, that, that you know, when he was a year old, he, he picked up the putter and whacked it in the net. And it was like, well, it's not really a miracle because he'd been holding this golf club for so long and he'd been watching his dad do it for so long. And, and as, you know, children, we want to mimic, don't we? So, yes. so. I suppose my a long way to say at this point is he got used to that tool earlier on. On so he got used to how the the, the tool moved, right? And 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 uh, a distinct awareness of 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 the properties of that tool. So how that played out later on in life was Tiger, a uh, Nike sent Tiger. This is in the two thousands. Nike sent Tiger five drivers to test, right? And he tested them all and then said one's a different weight. And the Nike reps were like, no, it's not. They're all the same. And he, I, Tiger was adamant. He said, no, there's one definitely a different weight. And he sent it back. And sure enough, they sent it back. And it was two grams of a difference, uh, just one of the clubs. And he was right. And two grams is the, the weight of $2 bills. You know, see, so he was... Yeah. He's so attuned to that golf club that that he could feel that when he was moving it and holding it. Yep. And my point here is for beginners or anybody is just to to build more awareness with the golf club. And I know if we've discussed this before, but you know, a, a colleague of ours, Gordon Morrison, did a little experiment with beginners where he got half of them to practice just as normally would in between lessons and the other half basically asked them to hold a golf club and switch out light lights with that in between lessons and just use it use it as a tool you know kind of like how you know i heard story ian rancher told me a story of peter beardsley yesterday how peter beardsley the you know, famous english footballer how he had a ball with him all the time and like on the way to school yeah. he would play a little game where he had to kick off each wall twice and control it you know so the ball was part of of Peter Beersley, you know, and and yes. to me I think like if you want to become more aware of what that golf club can do, like use it more, not just for hitting a golf ball. Yeah, you know, just get yeah. Do you know what? It, it's really interesting mm. you say that because I think there's two things I've often said. Well one thing I've often said to people, you know, when they've said, well how do we get our children interested in sport or golf? And I'm just like, leave stuff yep. around. Yep. Leave it around, you know, in our front room, we've got cricket bat. Now, my, my son will have this cricket bat in his hands, just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you just described, pretty much every minute of every single day. It'll be hitting balls, it'll be shadow batting, it'll be doing this, that and the other, and he'll be watching it on the TV and he'll reenact the shots that are playing. And it's all there. Now, you know, what's it for? Well, he just loves doing it at the minute. What's it going to add up to? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But having stuff around... Yeah. Helps. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, I mean, you go even deeper than that. If you look at, I can't remember the guy's name who did the PhD study, but part of the PhD study was that elite golfers, when they looked at how the proximity of where they were in relation to a golf club, was very close. Yeah. 
grown up. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. You've got to be there. You've got to be in, in the environment yeah. to, to do it. And I've, 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 it's having that access and opportunity also, isn't it? That's fascinating. That really is interesting. So if, so again, if, if, if parents, adults, coaches want to get their children or themselves or as beginners attuned, mm. yeah. I like the word there, become yeah. attuned, then like you say, just holding onto a golf club, having it around putters, chippers, yeah. drivers, getting it in your hands can only be a positive Absolutely. Thing, I think it? even if you go deeper on that, like different weights as well, you know, getting used to like different weights. Yeah. You know, it's like, again, because it's fresh in my memory, I was discussing this with Ian yesterday with his son uh, and his son, professional cricket player, Matt, and uh, he's got no problem with picking up a new bat and using it straight away in, in competition. Okay. And, and personally, if, I would never do that with a golf club, but then, you know, I asked Ian, well, what did you do with them as a kid? And and he basically, that's exactly what he did. He made sure, like, that he was mi- mi- mixing up the bat weight and lengths all the time with, with Matt so that he he basically became more aware of how to use lots of different tools. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'd probably just sum, sum that up from my perspective in some of the research I've been doing around, it's more a case of lots of Mm -hmm. difference that rather than correctly, properly the way you're supposed to do it. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. But uh, uh, coming back to that though, if I, if I have a beginner coming into me, I will personally, I would say half set because there's too much choice or very little, even two or three clubs, there's too much choice. There's too much noise there. And become yep. become good with one or two tools first, and and then start Correct. mixing it up. So we're not well. I'm. I don't think you are either. Saying like, look, use fifteen, fourteen different clubs right from the get go. It's as you become no. more skillful, then then start mixing up. Yeah, I think lo- the lots mm. of different was lots of different tools in lots yep. of different ways. Starting <laughs> with one. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, add, I'll add the caveat there in yeah. starting with one. Yeah, because for us with children, it would be start mm-hmm. with a driver, um, biggest head, flattest bottom, yeah. lightest, whack it, you know, make speed, then mm-hmm. add loft and then, and then see what happens from there. Um, and like you say, having clubs that are a bit a bit too long, a bit too short, mm-hmm. a bit too light, mm-hmm. a bit too heavy, I, I'm interested around that. So... So you wouldn't go. I'm going to ask you, Chris. So you wouldn't go green, green back. If you're saying you go driver first, just because it's a bigger head and easier to hit. Oh, but but but, I, but with the children, I also encourage them ah, to right. with it as well. Yeah, so right. they just use that. They just use that to put chip. And obviously, the only shot that they really struggle with a little bit is hitting it out of a bunker. <laughs> yeah. But the, but then but then we have a we have a sort of a two goes mm-hmm. and a throw yeah. rule yeah. Uh, constraints. If they can't get it into, they throw it in. Brilliant. I want, I want, I want them to find situations where they then go, "Oh, this club's not really working for me. Do you have another one that I might mm-hmm. try?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it opens up different conversations, do. doesn't it? That's why. Correct. I All love that. Yeah. So it's you know like the game I talked about earlier on when the ninety to one hundred and ten. It's like well, I'm not explicitly yep. telling Phil to do that, but then it opens up conversations of why is this not working at one hundred and ten, and you know and and just maybe challenge point and and yeah 
the 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 ownership of the ownership of learning and development and understanding is then with uh, the learner, yeah, the player, yeah. the person playing, and we're just there as the sort of the guide, the help, the source of maybe uh-huh. something different. Um, which I'm very clear on that. And like you say, I think you're setting up environments and exp- experiences and environments mm-hmm. that provoke that sort of relationship. Yeah. It changes the hierarchical nature of the relationship between coach yeah, and I mean, we're the, learner as well. And I think you've said this before, and I, I, I think I stole a little bit of that as well in our book, is that the, the, third, the third person in the conversation, you've got the environment, the person, and then you know, occasionally we are tweaking that environment with tasks and rules to 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 shape yep. our experience. Totally. Um, so, like like we said at the beginning, mm-hmm. we could chat for hours, but mm-hmm. I want to give you know your your new project, your train like a tiger mm-hmm. with yourself and Ian. Mm-hmm. It sounds fascinating. So, can you just give people a bit of an inkling to what that looks like and sounds? Like yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, www.trainlikeatiger dot com uh, we're in the pre-launch stage you just throw your email in address in there it's going to be a program now so it was initially going to be five books now it's going to be more e-learning with support from ian and i and basically going through tiger's whole development uh, and how it links to to skills so taking a key concept out of each part of his development such as the tiger par stuff we talked about there and what what the relevance is and then how you would apply it to your own game. So giving you lots of exercises to do for, for you to apply to your own game. And I think I think what's interesting with where you're coming at things from a, a very, very different space to maybe where traditional coaching is situated. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a really exciting um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's something Ian and I are both passionate about as well, so. Yeah, yeah. So if people want to find you, uh, where, where I'm on Twitter, PeterAnagolf. Uh, Peter um, that's probably your best bet, Twitter. I'm on Instagram as well, PeterAnagolf as well. Brilliant. Well, listen, I mean, like we said, mm-hmm. we could speak for hours, but there was definitely some nuggets that came out of that that I'm going to revisit and uh, and relook over. So, Pete, thank pleasure, you so much Neil. for your time Always today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Right, cheers. Take it easy.